Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives, with new episodes airing every Tuesday. I'm Chris Cheney, and I'm the Senior Clinical Care Editor for Health Leaders. In today's episode, we'll be discussing care coordination improvement for high-risk patients with Adria Grillo-Peck, Vice President of Integrated Care Management at IU Health. Adria, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Chris. It's my pleasure. Let's get into our questions. High-risk patients are likely seeing multiple healthcare providers. How do you manage coordinating care across multiple healthcare providers? So, Chris, I think this is definitely one of our biggest challenges. Um, not only do patients go to other facilities within our system, um, but they also use services outside our system. So this can be really challenging. I think the first step identifying who is high risk. We actually use a or excuse me, utilize a readmission risk assessment, which is a modified boost tool. It it goes through the the eight P's, and some of those are looking at polypharmacy, problem meds, psychosocial issues, need for palliative care, physical limitations, if they've been readmitted um, within the last six months. Um, so that's really the first step. And our goal is to do that within 24 hours of the patient admission. And then that actually determines which cases we manage. In terms of communication, we utilize um, our EMR for messaging, so for communicating non-urgent messages from one provider or one discipline to another, but then we also use another platform that is more for that urgent messaging um, when we need a response immediately. We also have a responsibility for our risk lives where we have financial risks for um, this set of patients. And in those offices, we actually have embedded social workers and case managers in these PCP offices. And so there's handoff also from the inpatient case manager to the outpatient case manager and vice versa for our risk lives. We've also had some handoffs across our systems as well. We had a, a difficult case, the patient was transferring for from Bloomington, which is in our southern region, to Indianapolis for that level of care. So we actually pulled together a care conference, um, including the providers and the interprofessional team, to really discuss that patient, what had worked in the past, what hasn't worked, and what our next steps are. So that was a real win for everybody involved. We also developed a post-acute network. So we have providers that we partner with different facilities as well as home care agencies that have to meet certain quality scores by being in a closer more narrow network we're able to manage those patients a little more carefully and also have that communication back and forth between the facility and between our acute care providers, as well as um, those that are out in the community or our POP Health Network. We also allowed access um, to our EMR for our post-acute clinical liaisons. So when they come in to see that patient to see if they're going to qualify for their facility or for that level of care, 
they can actually, as long as they have the referral, get into our EMR um, and, and see the information that's there, again, in the spirit of continuum of care. And our expectation is that if a patient leaves a post-acute facility, that they're also hooked up within our network for home care services when they leave that facility. A couple other things that I'll just mention quickly. We do have a program where um, we schedule follow-up PCP appointments within five to seven days of discharge. So again, trying to keep that continuum and trying to prevent that readmission, make sure that the patient has a safe discharge and all their services have been met. And then lastly, what I'll mention about this piece is we also have a follow-up phone call program. Patients get an automated call within 48 hours after discharge. And our reach rate has really been extremely high. It's about 96%, meaning that the patient actually responds to the questions within the call. And one of those questions is, would you like to talk to a nurse? So if, they, if the patient wants to talk to a nurse, then one of our transitional case managers will call that patient back. And what we've seen is those patients that engage with a nurse on the call, their readmission rates are lower and their patient engagement scores are higher. And then we also have reports that we send to the interdisciplinary team to address opportunities for improvement. And those are actually broken down um, by units so that they can track and trend. You mentioned social workers. How can a social worker help coordinate care for high-risk patients? You know, our social workers are um, so intricately involved um, in managing our high-risk patients. They assist with, you know, social determinants of health, psychosocial issues, connecting patients with community resources. They've also done a really nice job of doing some reviews of our readmissions and really looking at root cause. So many times it's not actual the medical condition that brings them back, but it may be other issues such as the psychosocial issues or um, adherence to the care plan. Um, so we've really seen our social workers been very involved in, um, in those initiatives. And there was actually um, an article that was referenced out of Australia where they added a social worker to manage some of their most complex patients, and they saved over 10,000 days within one year. So this is something that we just recently implemented. We put a complex care social worker at our academic health center, which is where we see our most complex patients. The social worker partners with our system patient access department. They assist in getting Medicaid, um, paperwork completion. They work with our medical legal program with our different waivers. And then the, the other thing that I'll mention that we haven't fully operationalized yet, but within our EMR, we've added an SVI score or social vulnerability index score that looks at vulnerable populations based on their geographic area. So we're in the process right now of trying to narrow that down and see how we can really be more impactful with those populations that are most, um, most at risk. 
And then the other program that I'll mention um, that our social workers, as well as our pastoral care department has been extremely involved in is our congregational care network, where we've actually partnered with different congregations across the state and really addressing social isolation and loneliness. So in partnering with these congregations, we've, um, we've actually done some education with the liaisons that are there within the congregation, and then they can reach out to different members and provide social support. You know, sometimes it may be a, a trip to the physician's office or even to get food. Um, but that was another initiative where our social workers were extremely involved in, in trying to address those issues, especially post-COVID. Next question. How can you establish a utilization management program for high-risk patients? Well, Chris, this is one of my favorite questions because it's actually a program that we um, implemented just over a year ago, and it's our pre-cert program. So for those patients that need to go to a facility and require that prior authorization from the insurance company to get that level of care, it was one of our top avoidable delays. So our team collects avoidable days, and that was one that we saw that rose to the top was really around waiting for pre-certs. Historically, you know, it takes about 72 hours to get a pre-cert back. Once we implemented um, our program where we actually brought the pre-cert process internally, um, we've been able to save over 4,000 days in just one year. And we've had the ability to backfill almost a thousand of those beds. So as we look at, you know, throughput and length of stay initiatives, this has certainly been something that's been very beneficial. We actually saw um, over $10 million in cost savings, and we were able to improve our three throughput, decrease our ED boarding hours, and it also increased our ability to get patients in from outlying facilities and clinics so that they can really get the appropriate level of care that is needed. Um, so that's, that's one that we're extremely proud of. Our, um, our turnaround time decreased from 72 hours to an average of an eight-hour turnaround time. In addition to that, we've partnered very closely with our UM team. Our UM team actually um, participates in most of our huddles, not all of them, but they talk about goal length of stay, they also talk about discharge milestones. And then we also do a review of any Medicare patient that has been in our hospital for longer than 30 days. And again, that is a joint partnership between ICM, Integrative Care Management, and UM. And then based on those reviews, um, it may be an escalation to our chief medical officer or others, a service line administrator, depending on what the issue is. Other things that we've done, um, we do have a contingency fund. So if we need to pay for medications or a hotel room, other such things, we do have a contingency fund uh, that we use for that. We've also partnered with a flight company because we do see patients who are undocumented um, that don't have a social support system here in the States. So we have flown um, patients back to their country of origin. And by actually um, contracting and working with just a couple companies, 
it's allowed us to expedite um, those flights and those transfers. The other thing that we've done is we've partnered with some of our facilities, again, that are within our network. Looking at those patients that have Medicaid pending, um, so looking at what the risks that the Medicaid will go through, and if we're pretty certain that it is eventually going to go through, instead of waiting that 30 to 60 days, we actually go ahead and transfer um, the patient to one of the facilities so that they can start getting their rehab as quickly as possible. Um, and, and it's actually a contract that we signed with them. So since we've um, implemented some of this, we've, we've definitely seen um, a decrease in our SNF length of stay, as well as our overall cost, especially for our risk lives. One other program um, that I'll mention, especially as it relates to those that are underinsured or that are undocumented, we implemented a rehab to home program. So for those patients that just won't qualify for a rehab or a skilled nursing facility, we actually provide them with more intensive rehab services so that we can get them again to a safe discharge as quickly as possible. And since we started that program, um, our average length of stay for being in the rehab to home program is 12 days. And then the overall length of stay is 29 days. But if I think about in the past before we had this program, instead of the 12 days, you know, patients would be with us, you know, 30, 60 days because they weren't getting that intensive rehab that they're now getting. Excellent. How can you arrange care conferences that include an interprofessional team, the patient and caregivers for high-risk patients? Chris, I think this is another place where our social workers are so very valuable. At least at IU Health, our social workers primarily take the lead in organizing those care conferences. We try to get as many providers in the care conference as possible, especially with some of these highest risk patients. They may have multiple specialists, so that can be challenging at times. Depending on the situation, we may include the patient and family in the care conference. We've done a lot of work and a lot of education across the system on goals of care conversations. So, you know, what is it truly that the patient and or family are looking for um, as an outcome? We also have a very strong palliative care program. So we work closely with our palliative care team. Um, we, it is not unusual to have to pull ethics in. Um, we also have a very strong ethics program in the dispute resolution process. So if the providers and you know, the patient or family are, are not on the same page, there is a dispute resolution process that we can go through. But again, I, I, I think the most important thing is having those goal, goals of care conversations as early as possible, ideally with the primary care physician, because that's usually who the patient has the closest relationship with. So we don't want to wait for them to come into the hospital when they're in crisis, when they're meeting a whole new team, and then having to address some of those conversations at that time. Adria, it's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much, Chris. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast.